we have a really special offer today and I'm so excited to share it with you. The ultimate giveaway. Do you want to receive one of our planners for free or would you like access to our Instagram growth course worth £59? At My Bump to Baby, we are massively passionate about making sure parents have the protection in place that they need should the worst happen. If you choose to book in with your nearest family law solicitor today to have a look and a chat about your will, or if you book in with your financial advisor to review your family protection or your pension, we will give you access to either our Instagram course with £59 or we will send you one of our amazing planners completely free of charge. To qualify for this, all you need to do is fill in the form at the bottom of this podcast and we will book you in with your nearest advisor. You don't need to take out a policy and you don't need to take out a will. It's just simply having a chat to make sure that you have the protection that you need should the worst happen. We are so excited to bring you this offer and we hope you take advantage of it because protecting your family is the most important decision that you could make today. This podcast is sponsored by My Bump to Baby Family Protection and Legal Directory. To find your nearest advisor or family law solicitor, head over to www.mybumptobaby.com forward slash family protection legal. Do you love the idea of being your own boss? What about saving money on childcare because you can actually work flexibly around your family? My Bump to Baby is rapidly expanding and we are looking for people to run their own pregnancy to preschool hubs in their local area. Full training is provided, ongoing mentor support, fantastic regular team incentives, a bonus scheme, uncapped commission, review products for free and review days out too. If you are interested in being the My Bump to Baby Manager for your local area, email us business at mybumptobaby.com. Limited space available. Hello and welcome to 50 Shades of Motherhood, uncensored, unhinged and unapologetic, guilt-free, real, raw mum chats with me, your host, Carla Lett, oversharer and founder of My Bump to Baby, the UK's leading pregnancy to preschool directory. This week, I am speaking to a very brave lady, Edwina Clark, who is sharing her honest story of being a victim of abuse for over a decade. Now, this episode is very hard to listen to in parts. We do discuss 
physical abuse, psychological abuse, emotional abuse, financial abuse and sexual abuse. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Fifty Shades of Motherhood. This week we are talking to Edwina Clark about her story of suffering from domestic abuse and violence. So hello Edwina. Hiya. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on um, and talking to us about this. Um, you have been through uh, some awful times, uh, running over 10 years, uh, should I add. So um, what I wanted to do is just kind of share your story today to help other women that may be going through it or other women that may think their friends are or just raising that awareness ar- around this subject, really. Yeah, yeah. So, Edwina, can we um, go back to the beginning of your story, first of all, to back to 2003 when you met your partner? So where were you in life at that point? Yeah, so I'd been to college, done my A-levels, but didn't really know what I wanted in life. I kind of did my A-levels because I didn't want to leave school and not do anything, but didn't really know what I wanted to do kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So, do you know, everyone, I think I think it's too young to leave school a lot of the time because I, at that age, yeah, I've, said it, I've said it before, I was like, I wanted to be Britney Spears at that age. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's too young, isn't yeah, it? Yes, now, my little one at the end of year eight, Came home and she was like, oh, I've got to pick my options. I was like, no. Yeah, we're, we're doing them a year early. Oh, my I was God. like, you don't even know what you want for tea. I want to decide what you want to do as a career. Very like, true. Oh, I know. It's crazy. So I, I did the same as you actually went to college because I was like, what the hell do I do now? But So you went and did your A-levels, you did? Yeah, did my A-levels, got to the end of them, and it was kind of like, oh, what do I do now? So I didn't want to go to uni, so I thought, oh, well, the only other option is to get a job. So I went and got a job at a local theme park. thought it'd be a good thing to do just for the summer. Exciting, pressing buttons on roller coasters. Oh, that sounds amazing. Right up my street, that. I love that. I used to, do you know, I used to love that um, roller coaster tycoon. Yeah, <laughs> building it on the game, yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, the most boring summer job ever, because literally it? most... They just have one button. It's literally press start button and off it goes. And I was like, oh, I thought this would be like really exciting. (laughs) Yeah, it would be good that, wouldn't it? If you could control all the rides, probably. So you went there and you worked there for a bit then. Yeah, I went there, worked there for a bit. And that's where I actually met him whilst we were working there. So he lived in another town. But the theme park was kind of in the middle of the two towns. So there was people there from all around. Yeah, yeah. So how old were you at this point then? You would have been 17? 17. No, just 18. Just, just 18. Yeah. So so did you know of him before or? No, I didn't know of him before that. Kind of young and naive. And I think at the time I thought it was like the best thing since sliced bread. Looking back now, you know, when people say, oh, we changed and we grew apart, I can honestly say he never changed. He was actually a prat when I met him. <laughs> I didn't quite know to what degree he was going to kind of go to, but it wasn't like wasn't like a charismatic, amazing person at all. I don't know. I think I was definitely blinkered. 
Yeah, I think when you're that age, though, I think you just believe everything someone tells you sometimes. Well, I know I did. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, you think you're older than what you are a lot of the time, I think, by like yeah. 17 and 18. You're like, oh, now I've left school. Yeah, I'll get a boyfriend. And, you know, like, and it's just all, you just think that's what you need to be doing. Yeah, that's life. it. You're an adult. You rule the world and off you go kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Was, yeah, exactly. So did you, did any alarm bells ring for you when you met him then initially? A couple, but it was nothing really serious. So I knew he liked to have a drink, but so did most people that I kind of worked with. Everybody would kind of go to the pub after work. We all got paid on a Friday, so everybody would go to the pub on a Friday kind of thing. I thought it was a little bit strange that because he's 10 years older than me, he still lived with his mum and his two brothers. But mm. at that time, I had a flat that I had shared with my previous boyfriend. So I was living on my own and it just seemed like a good idea to go and live with him rather than stay living on my own. Yeah, yeah. So with his with his uh, mum and his brothers, did you move yeah. from there with them? Yeah, oh, we right. not, a, not an ideal situation. No, no. I know have so many mother-in-law jokes about. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I bet. So, so you went and how come he could have lived with you though, I suppose, couldn't he? He didn't to, and again, I didn't really think anything of it at the time, but he wasn't paying any board to his mum, so it was cheap, easy living. Yeah, yeah. And at that age, I bet you just thought, do you know what? That's great. Brilliant. Yeah. She yeah. can cook our food, do our washing. I thought, yeah, I'm on to a winner here. Sounds blooming brilliant. Yeah, does. I'd love that now, actually. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, um, so as you were living with him, then you just relationship grew and, you know, everything was OK, I suppose. Yeah, things were OK. Like, there'd be odd occasions where he'd have a drink and he'd turn a little bit nasty after that. But again, Word, like wording nasty, like speaking yeah. to you nastily. Yeah, he'd speak to me like some off bottom of his shoe. But again, I just thought oh, that that's kind of what drunk people do. They do get a bit nasty next day he'd be full of apologies and mm. it just kind of went like that and then as I realized he was drinking more and more obviously the frequency of him speaking to me not very nicely increased more and more mm. to the point where it was becoming he'd get up and he was he's definitely a functional alcoholic well I don't know what he is now at that time he was a functional alcoholic so he'd quite often have a drink on the morning but again I didn't really know enough about functioning alcoholics at that point so I was just thinking well he gets up and he goes to work so kind of he must be all right yeah yeah I think initially he'd hid it from me I don't think anything changed in that he was drinking more I think it was just that it it became the norm and he didn't mind me knowing kind of thing yeah once he got used to you and stuff like that and that that kind of uh, novelty of the new relationship wears off to start to show the kind of real self so um, yeah definitely so then like he was just turning nasty when he when he'd had a drink which obviously then was a lot of the time yeah yeah the more he drank the more he was not a very nice person to be around but again sometimes he'd have a drink and he'd be okay so then I'd start to question whether it was something I'd said that had kind of pushed him to be like that mm. and I think the more it happened the more I started to question that it was me and I, I never really understood that no actually the problem isn't you and I'd blame myself more and more for it at that point yeah because you'd probably believe what he was saying to you yeah, and then without doubt. and then yeah and then oh no I know exactly the feeling it's like constantly and then you're thinking oh actually maybe I did something to upset him or you know um, yeah. oh no that's horrible horrible place to be in 
Um, yeah. So did you recognize then towards like, you know, when that started to happen, did you, did it take you a while to actually see that it was him? Then were you still thinking it was you for a while? Yeah, for a while I thought it was me. And then kind of, I've got a new job. He didn't like me going places, didn't like me seeing people. So he took me to work, picked me up from work. But he wasn't working. And again, it started to ring little alarm bells. Hang on a minute. Why am I working while he's sat on his bum not? Mm. Then he went back to his old job. So we went back to work at the theme park and I didn't go back that year. And then that's when things started to get a little bit worse. And then that's when the physical abuse started, which mm. I later found out he was taking drugs as well while he was at work and taking him on the way home from work. So obviously they were affecting his behaviour. And for a while, I kind of used that as an excuse for him. And it was kind of like, no, it's not him. It's what he's taking that's making him be like that. And I think it wasn't until towards the end of 2005, so we've been together the best part of two years by this point, that I thought, you know what, actually he's not a very nice person and maybe I, this isn't what I want to spend the rest of my life like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, God, that that's frightening. So when it when it turned into physical abuse, do you remember the first time that happened or what, what it was that made him think that that was okay? It started with pushing and I don't really remember the first time that it it'd start with kind of him pushing me so he'd like push me onto the sofa as I'd stand up or he'd push me back onto the bed as I went to get up off the bed and things and because we lived with his mum we had just a bedroom to ourselves so we had kind of a bed at what quite a big bedroom so we had a bed and a sofa in there so he kind of pushed me back onto the bed as I'd go to get up and stuff mm. so I don't remember the first time he pushed me but I do remember the first time he kind of really hurt so he pushed me into the door frame at one point and I banged the side of my oh. head so that one I, I do remember. There's a couple. It's really strange because even when it was, because it got to the point where it was physically extremely dangerous and mm. even some of them occasions, even now, I don't remember. But then there'll be like little things will happen or somebody will say something and it'll kind of bring a little flashback and I'll be like, I, I actually forgot that that time had happened kind of thing. Might be like you mentally block it out. Maybe you mentally yeah, block it out. I do think that there's bits that I've kind of, protected myself by blocking out because I think when it comes to pushing as well like it's a fact, like it's almost like not that it is okay it's not by any means I'm not saying it is but it's pushing almost seems like you could you could say well you came towards me so I pushed you away or whatever um, yeah that's and- the thing and it was a lot like that it come up with a lot of excuses for things and it Again, looking back, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but at the time it was kind of like, oh, maybe if I hadn't stood up so quick or maybe if I hadn't moved that way. So once it got physical then, so that was um, around 2004, so you'd been with him over a year. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, and then what, what was the next thing then? So you started to realise he wasn't a nice person. Yeah, as 2005 went on, I rapidly kind of, well, not really rapidly, took a while, came to my senses and realised that kind of it wasn't the person I wanted to be with. So at this point, he he always said that he couldn't have kids but wanted one. But by this point, I decided, you know what, actually, I don't want a child with you. So I went to the doctor's once while he was out and went and got on the pill mm. and then found out I was pregnant. So I was like, oops, I thought two years of kind of not doing anything to stop myself getting pregnant and then went on the pill and got pregnant I thought oh my god story of my life what were you pregnant on the pill I felt pregnant whilst on the pill I'd been on the pill for two months when I got pregnant with my oldest 
what oh my god I bet and because he didn't know you were on the pill I bet you were like you couldn't explain how shocked you were I know because it was just like he was over the moon and I was thinking oh great this is really not what I wanted now before I'd had before I got pregnant had I, can't talk, I'd had a couple of miscarriages hmm. but I hadn't known I was pregnant at the time didn't want to be pregnant so I was still drinking so I, I just hmm. put it down to kind of that and didn't really think anything of it. So then when I was pregnant, I was kind of torn between a part of me didn't want a child with him, but yeah. there was a part of me that really wanted this child. And yeah, yeah, it was like, it was a really strange feeling kind of being torn between. Yeah, I bet. I mean, was there any part of you that didn't want to take it further or, you know, or... Because of the ones I'd lost, I was mm. kind of adamant that I wanted her I just knew I didn't want her with him but again I was torn because my mum and dad had split up when I was quite young so I was kind of like well I wanted to have a mum and a dad and have this this kind of like perfect cereal box type family. I think that's a lot of it isn't it like a lot of us I mean even my parents are together and it's um but you always look for the things that you maybe didn't have as much like my mum yeah. used to work a lot and so I'm always all about flexible working and stuff so for you I mean with yours you wanted to stay together with with him because you yeah know, yeah and you probably thought in your head do you know what it might actually get better maybe it's not that bad I, I did I think I thought it was gonna there's a couple of things that I've done though like we'll come on to next where I thought looking back I'm like why did I do that but I think at the time it was kind of like oh maybe it'll be some kind of magic sticking plaster and make everything kind of right mm. and there was a bit of me that thought oh, well if he's a dad he'll change he'll stop drinking he'll stop going out he'll stop being the prat that he is mm. and I kind of thought that he would so I suppose I thought he'd man up kind of thing but no such luck no no I mean, that's, yeah, so sad to hear. But amazing that you've got a little one anyway. So so tell me, um, how, how was he during pregnancy then? What what was he like during pregnancy? Do you remember? It didn't phase him at all. He'd still go out. He wasn't bothered that I wanted. He'd whinge at me to go out and I'd be like, I don't really want to. And he's like, I'll come to the pub with us. And he's like, well, I can't drink anyway. But like, just have one. And he didn't seem to understand the importance. No, actually, I'm pregnant. I'm carrying a child. I can't go out and get drunk with you all. And he, he didn't want me at home, kind of, with his mum. Like, he didn't want me there, but didn't want me out. It, it didn't make any sense. He, like, he wanted me to be there with him at the time. And I was like, no, look, I'm not coming. I don't want to be there, kind of thing. He had no kind of, there was no risk to it. It was like, no, come on, just go out. Yeah. What was his mum saying? Did she notice anything was going on? Like, obviously, she must have known you were pregnant. But before that? She'd, a couple of times, but she liked to drink as well. So a couple of times when she'd have a drink, she'd tell him, oh, he's not a nice person, you don't want to be with him. And then she'd go on about how amazing his ex was. So it never really made any sense to whether mm. she thought he was a prat and was warning me. And then in the next breath, she'd be going on about how amazing his ex-girlfriend was. And she was like best friends with his ex-girlfriend's mum and dad because it, it was a small seaside town. So kind of everybody lives in everybody's pockets kind of thing mm, I know that feeling yeah yeah where I am it's a bit like that but yeah so that's strange because then you'd question her wouldn't you be like oh yeah well she might just prefer him to be with his ex maybe that's why yeah. she's saying all that yeah that's kind of what it was it was like she didn't make any sense and she like she enjoyed the drink he enjoyed the drink and then again I start to question is it me that's the one in the wrong are these people actually a bit more normal than I think and I'm the one that's kind yeah. of not right or got the issues 
Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, because there's two of them and one of you. Yeah. So your little one then, tell yeah. us about that then. How how was that? So yeah, she was born and for a while it seemed like he was quite besotted with her and then kind of one of the most memorable moments was one night she was laid on the bed. So she's allergic to pseudocrem, but being a new mum, getting after rash, blabbering pseudocrem. Mm. Obviously this rash got worse. So she's laid on the bed on a towel with nothing on kind of getting some fresh air to herself, shall we say. And I asked him to pass me the tobacco. So he passed me the backy, and as he threw this pouch of backy at me, it kind of landed on her. And I turned to him, and I do remember snapping him, and I was like, look what you've done. And he punched me square in the face. It was the first time he'd actually, like, full punched me. Made a right mess of my face. My nose was bleeding. I tried to grab her, kind of thinking, shit, need to get out of here, kind of thing. I went to pick her up, so he pushed me away from her and he stood between me and her and it was kind of like, I need to get to her, but I don't want to antagonise him anymore. So it was like, I kind of stood there and I can remember now still standing there thinking, do I try and get past him? Do I just hope the situation diffuses and then try and get to her in a minute? It, It was kind of a, what on earth do I do in this situation sort of moment. What did you do? stood and waited I literally just stood kind of with my eyes fixed on her and he was looking at me while my nose was bleeding and oh. it was kind of I don't I think he was a little bit shocked that what he'd done it's kind of an escalation from pushing and things but at the same time he was not going to budge and let me get to her so it was kind of it's a bit like a standoff and nobody moved kind of thing oh god that's she horrible just, she just laid on bed oblivious wiggling her legs Oh, bless her. That is awful. And I'm guessing then that was when that kind of abuse had started or did he did he carry on with that or? Carried on. So that was like, that was a real turning point. And at that point I was, so I'm the firstborn female in the fam in my generation, as is my oldest, as was my mum and my grand and my great grand. And I can't remember why, but my mum was insistent on us going up in this family photo of all the five generations of firstborn females. And I'd got this proper shine on. I remember having to lie to my mum and ask the donor. I said, we'd got, and it was the most unbelievable lie looking back. And I said, we'd gone for a walk and somebody had drunkenly fell on the pram and I'd shouted at them and this person had punched me in the face. Oh my God, that like, is extreme. Yeah, I was like, where on earth did I, I kind of concoct that story from? But I think it's because you could see looking at it that it was a punch kind of thing. So it was just kind of the best thing I could come up with at the time. And looking back, I always think, why on earth did I come up with that story? Mm. But that's what I'd said. So my mum went and got some um, kind of, it's like foundation, but they use it for covering tattoos and things. So my mum went and got some of that and kind of covered it up for me for this photo. And then it was kind of just forgotten about. It was like, oh, we've got the photo and nothing more was really thought about. Mm. What I found out afterwards was that my mum and my dad even actually knew that it, it was kind of the prat that it was, but they reckon they tried to tell me. I don't think they did try to tell me, but we'll never know in hindsight kind of yeah. what went on. And then a couple of weeks later, he punched me again, oh, and I ended up with some damage to my eye, and I c- couldn't see properly for a while. I kept thinking I'm going to go blind, and I was like, I was catastrophizing it as well. What caused that then? Was it just another another similar situation? Yeah, yeah, just another time. He'd come in drunk. He went to pick her up out of the cot, and I was like, no, leave her alone. And that's when he punched me then, because I, I wasn't going to move and let him pick her up kind of thing. 
So oh that's what God. I caused the second time. And that was at the point that I thought, you know what, I need to get me and her out of here. Did you, did his mum see you with that black eye? Did yeah. she? And what did she no, say? Nothing? Nothing. Just left it. Nothing. Oh, my God. She knew it was him, but didn't kind of care or anything. God, you never know whether, like, you've. T- she used to get it before you. Do you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? You, I'll never know kind of what went off before. God. So at that point, I got in touch with my mum. So I used to see her on odd weekends. I'd go through and see her because, like, we lived in the next town. But I, I asked my mum to help me move. So I found a house back in the seaside town that I'd grown up in. And my stepdad came through with a van. So we loaded the van up, ready to move. And then at last minute, he came back to the house he'd been out. And I have no idea to this day why I thought it was a good idea to say, do you know what, and let him come with us. And off we went. Whereas it, that would have been the perfect time to kind of get away, start a new life without him. But I didn't. I let him come with us. Was he like sorry at this point or saying anything like that that made you think? I don't that it... honestly actually remember how the conversation went because as we were loading the van, it was all kind of quite panicky and get the stuff in. And so I don't know quite what, how it came about or why I let him move with us or anything. I know. I probably thought, you know, things will get better. And I remember thinking it'll be away from all the, the idiots that he was hanging around with and stuff. Yeah, because it's not him. It's probably everyone else yeah. and the situation he's... Yeah, I know what you mean. You can make excuses, though, can't you, for people? Yeah, that's what I did for definite. It was just excuse after excuse as to why he was being like that and it was everybody else's fault. So did he still carry on like drinking and stuff like that once you moved or did he actually change? No, carried on exactly the same. He went back to work at the theme park the next summer. So he met, instead of him hanging around with the people that lived in one town, he just went to hang around with the people that lived in the other town. So he just moved from one set of idiots to hanging around with another set of and it sounds awful. I don't mean this in any way stereotypical, but the people that he was hanging around with that were just working in the summer and kind of siding on in the winter, none of them really had any aspirations other than go to work, come home, and then they all quite enjoyed being down the pub. Most of them were younger than him. A lot of single lads, 18, 19, whereas he wasn't. I mean, he was 30 by this point. God, yeah. So it's like he's still living like he's like a blooming teenager. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. He thought he was Jack Ballard hanging about with 18, 19-year-olds and kind of doing what he wanted. Mm, God. So so then, so then, that was all carrying on. Was he still being uh, physically abusive then, then, as well? Yeah, still verbally abusive, still physically abusive. And then by this point, he also had full control of all the money as well. So money had all go into his bank. He could do what he wanted with it. The bills always got paid, but other than that, there was never any spare money left for anybody other than for him to drink. Oh, my God. God, I'd be seething. I'd be so mad. It was. It was kind of... There was like a part of me that hated it, and then there was a part of me that just kind of normalised it and thought, well, you know what, you've got a kid to him. It's kind of your own, it's your own fault. You live with him. It's kind of... It is what it is. And it, you probably sometimes th- could think you could put up with it for longer, and then sometimes you probably thought, "No, I can't do it anymore." It's, well, that's uh, exactly what it was like. Oh God! So, so in two thousand and seven, then this was um, yeah. that when you moved away, you you um, mentioned that sexual abuse then had started. 
Yeah, yeah, by this point, he decided that, you know, he could do what he wanted in the house, he could do what he wanted out of the house, he could do what he wanted to me, and that was when it, the sexual abuse started. And at first, this sounds awful, but at first, I would protest. Mm. By the end of it, I kind, I wouldn't. It was just, uh, I'd kind of close my eyes and pretend it wasn't happening to me. Oh, and I'd got you. to the point where... And I noticed it more, especially with the physical side of it. To me, the physical side was kind of worse because it had got to the point where I was no longer trying to really protect myself. So it, it'd start, and obviously when it first started, I'd try and get away. By the end, he'd start, and I'd just stand there and let him do whatever. And I remember having a conversation with a friend that did know about it a couple of years later, whilst it was still happening, and she'd say to me, look, you, you can't stand and argue with him at the top of the stairs. One day he's going to throw you down them stairs and you'll be dead at the bottom. And you're like, do you know what I mean? What are you going to do then? And I think it just got to the point where I, I didn't kind of fear him. It was kind of, it'd become the norm, I suppose. Yeah, like like he's just basically your abuser, yep. full stop, and you just accepted that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't mean to sound awful, but you must not have felt very much of yourself to be able no, to I keep putting up with it as well yeah by this point i'd resided myself to the fact that you know, this is life you've obviously done Aww. something to deserve this and i totally believed that it was my fault that he was like that because he'd go out with his friends and he'd be like the life and so the party have a laugh with them come back and it'd be like well if it was all right out with them mm. it must be me Oh, God, you know, I've sat here with tears in my eyes listening to this because that that what you've been through is just just heartbreaking. Um, so so that then you the sexual abuse around then that that had started. And oh, God. Right. And then and then in 2008, um, you were pregnant. Again, yeah. Oh. So then I was pregnant with my son. Mm. At this point, things had stepped to the point that we knew things weren't working with us. He kept texting other people that he wanted to be with. He'd have people around the house. Oh and then when I was pregnant, he was texting. And his fumble was in my name. So one day I'd had enough and he was texting. I went through his phone when he passed out, only to find that he was sending photos of himself to other men. And I was kind of like, oh, great. This has just got even better. Oh so God. then I decided that the problem was me because he wanted to be with the bloke so then it, it just was another reason why I was the problem not him being the problem yeah yeah rather than me thinking no actually he he's a big issue and again I tried to normalize it oh well he's obviously going through a difficult time because he's questioning his own sexuality and mm. again put that all down to being my fault rather than it being anything else god did you tell him that you'd seen all these messages yeah yeah i told him that i'd seen it and he tried to deny it and made out that it it, it never happened it was in my head it was just texting and i was like but i've seen it there was pictures of him not very nice pictures of him shall we say yeah which yeah. i've since found out he's done it again because he still lives in the same small seaside town whereas i've moved away a couple of people that i know have told me since then that he's been at it again so he obviously is kind of, he's probably still battling with his own. Yeah, 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 gosh, right. Oh, gosh, so your lovely son was then born. Yeah, so as soon as my son was born, he didn't want anything to do with my daughter. It was like, oh, I've got a boy now, I don't need a girl. Oh, so God. she just completely, and 
to be fair, she still can't, she can't stand him. And I think she remembers more than she probably should from being little, very little. Because she was only 23 months old when her brother was born. God, wow. So she must she must yeah. have just sensed it all as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they do remember a lot more from a lot younger than I think probably give them credit for. Mm. So at first it, it changed a bit and he was a bit nicer and he wanted to do stuff kind of with his son. And I'd be like, well, actually, there's two kids. We'll go and do it together as a family. And then it, slowly he was drinking more again. It just went back to the same cycle. And that was at the point that I started to think, you know what, he's never going to change. I need to do something to make a better life for these kids. So by this point, I'm kind of thinking, well, I knew I needed to do something. But living in a small seaside town with just my A-levels, it was kind of like, I've got no idea what I'm going to do, but I need to do something. What were, what were they in your A-levels? My, what did I do? I did biology, chemistry, psychology and drama in my first year and then decided that I didn't have a clue which of them I liked. So I continued the drama, picked up maths and technology. Yeah, so then with A-levels, I suppose, it's like, well, what, what do I do? To come out with it, which I didn't know. So I was like, well, I'll go to uni and they were like, your A-levels are out of date. I was like, what do you mean? They were like, yeah, they're out of date, they're too old. Oh, I was like, God. oh, I didn't realise A-levels had a date. So... I went back to college and did an access to education course so that I could go to uni because I decided at this point that I wanted to be a social worker and go and work with kids kind of like my kids. It was a little bit, again, probably a very strange thought at the time, Mm. but I knew that I wanted to be a social worker and help children. So that's when I went back to college and did my diploma. Amazing. And did he have the children at the time then? Was he... No, did he buggery. Kids (laughs) had to go into full-time childcare while he got drunk. And then a couple of times I'd come home from college early and he wouldn't be at home and I'd go and find him in his friend's garden drinking and the kids would be there and their kids. And I was like, what on earth is this like now? So I kind of had to... It, it was weird because I kind of wanted to drop out of college because I didn't want the kids in that. But then I'm thinking if I drop out of college, this is all they're ever going to know. So I had to kind of think, do I risk yeah. it in the short term? And the mm. kids hadn't actually come to any harm. They were looking after them, just not in an ideal way. I didn't think it was ideal, but who was I to decide what they could and couldn't do? I was kind of my thoughts. So I just kind of resigned myself to the fact that I would have to finish college, hope, pray that I got into university and make something better after that but again it was all kind of short term so I wasn't really thinking how will I do it it was just kind of pray and hope at this point yeah because yeah I can I can see what you mean because it's just getting out of the situation that yeah. you're in and instead of getting pulled back into it all the time like like yeah. last time when he moved with you as well um so so once you um left college then um what what happened then so just as I was about to leave college, he asked me to marry him, and stupidly, I said yes. So I think, looking back, that he thought that I was going to go to uni, make all new friends, and kind of realise how much of a prat he is. Yeah, and I yeah. remember us having a conversation once. So my uni lecturer had said, and I can't remember why she told us this, and she'd said to us about statistically lots of relationships fail when people go to uni because they they get kind of the hanging about with people that are a bit more intellectual maybe yeah yeah it's kind of a different friendship group so I think that that was why he asked me to marry him and stupidly 
the kids have both got his surname, whereas I had a different surname. So I wanted the same surname as them and I wanted it to be on my degree certificate. And again, I don't know whether I thought that being married was going to be some kind of plaster, but mm. there I did, went and married him. The thing is, though, even if you knew, like, um, you know, when you were going to uni and you were in the relationship, yeah. you might not have 100% thought, I'll definitely leave him. Maybe you weren't yeah. ready to. And then, like, it's, where do you go? If you said no to that, where do you go? <laughs> yeah, that was the kind of thing. So nine days before I started at university, I bloody married him. So you actually, did you actually go and get married by by that point? Yep, nine days before I went to start at uni, I got married to him. Was it a bit gay? No, a little cheaply registry office dude. We didn't have the money to do anything else, so it was all done kind of cheap. My mum and dad helped out a bit with paying for the little bit that we did have because we had literally didn't have 10 pence to rub together, stupidly. He was drinking it all. Mm. So, yeah, got married and then nine days later started at university. Gosh. And did it change after you got married then? Did anything change? Nope. We got absolutely drunk at the wedding. We went back, had an argument and slept in separate beds. That was my wedding night. So, no, it was no different to any other night would have been other than I had to battle to kind of get in the house. And it was it was just awful. And I was like, I knew at that point on the same day that I got married, I thought, what the chuffing hell have you done? (laughs) But I'd also got drunk at the wedding. So I was kind of like trying to, again, trying to blame it on me. Well, now you've had a drink, so it is your fault as well. I know, that's horrible. It's like mental torture, what he's put you through all that time because you're just constantly thinking that he might change or actually maybe it's you, maybe yeah, you need yeah. to do more. Oh, God, right. So so then, like, after that then, did it carry on much longer then from from then? It, was the physical abuse still happening, the sexual physical abuse, abuse everything? was still happening. The sexual abuse didn't happen very often after that. So I, I've resided myself to the fact I think he was actually getting it elsewhere. I'd caught him a couple of times with one of my best friends found in my house. So I was like, hey, you're not my friend. And I just resided myself to the fact he'd go out a lot and I just assumed he was getting it elsewhere. And to be honest, I was glad that he was leaving me alone, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it kind of just got to the point where I thought, do what you like. If you're leaving me alone, I, I don't mind. So that carried on for a while. And whilst I was at uni, I was learning very strangely about how domestic abuse affects children, how domestic abuse between parents has an impact on children. And it kind of wisened me up to thinking, you know what, you really do need to do something. And then in the August of 2012, I went and did a placement as part of my university degree and on my placement I was working in a like a drop-in shelter for people that were abusing alcohol and abusing other substances and again I came to this kind of realization you know what this is this is just your life you, you come here and you work with these people about how you want to help them and things and then you go on to live with one that's kind of no different if not worse because obviously what was going on oh, God. so at this point I was like right now I really do need to get rid of him but because we had a joint tenancy and it still happens to this day the number of people when you into joint tenancy you've both got as much rights to that house as, as each other mm-hmm. so it gets to the point where he'd get drunk on a Friday he'd kick off he'd get drunk on a Saturday he'd kick off eventually the neighbours would phone the police 
he'd be arrested to prevent a breach of the peace. The kids would be screaming. And then they'd ring me on Sunday morning and they'd say, we're releasing Mr. Clark now, just so you know he's on his way home. Okay. So the police knew and there was nothing they could do. What I mean, did you ever tell them about the physical abuse? or? or yeah, the, the new bits of it, but I'd never wanted to press charges because, again, in my eyes, it was the kid's dad. I didn't want to see him kind of get done for it. I just didn't want to be with him. But I, I had no idea kind of what to do. And it was at this point that school had got wind of it and they'd stopped him from picking the kids up from school because of him drinking. So I had a friend that was picking the kids up whilst I was at uni and taking them back to their house whilst he was getting drunk. Mm. And then they've got a school liaison officer involved who used to speak to me and a domestic abuse charity got involved through the the placement that I was doing. So I'd spend hours working with these people and then I'd have the same people that came in to speak to them come in and speak to me. It was a little bit strange oh, set up because of the I needed the same support that some of the other people that were kind of clients as such were going yeah gosh I bet you know it better than I bet you're very good at your job then because you know exactly what it's like so yeah it was kind of really weird sitting on both sides so spend the day supporting and then the evening being supported oh god and And at the same time I'm writing essays about how this impacts on children and looking at my own kids thinking now what are you going to do because Um... obviously when you're reading it in books it's always worst case scenario and stuff and I was just thinking I've got to do something but then he was living downstairs and I was living upstairs. And then one day, there'd be numerous times I'd say to him, look, you need to leave. He wouldn't leave it. We'd have an argument. And then one day he set off arguing and Ariana just turned around to him and she was like, look, Dad, nobody wants you here. And I was like, oh. And I just looked at him and he looked at me and it was kind of like, that's it. He's actually realised and you could see the look on his face change. And that's when he went and got himself flat and I helped him to get it so I helped him furnish it and stuff and everybody was like you're crazy and I was like no if it gets him out of the house it's the best thing that can ever happen to us so off he went got himself a flat he'd see the kids on a weekend but it's slowly less and less hours to the point where I'd drop them off last thing on a Friday night and then he'd want them picking up first thing on the Saturday morning and I was like there's just no point you even having them you don't see him you don't do anything with them if I went to go anywhere after I dropped him off, he'd be ringing me, screaming abuse down the phone. I'm going to go and drop him at your grand's because she lived about a 10-minute walk from him. And he'd march him down to my grand's. It got to point I was like, it's just no point sending him. I was like, you're not fit to look after him. And then my daughter had said he wasn't feeding him properly when they were there. So I was like, right, you're not having him. And then he got supervised contact, but he only turned up to a couple of sessions of that. And then it was stopped altogether because he just stopped turning up. So then the only time that we'd hear from him was after he'd got drunk on a Friday night. He'd rock up at the house trying to kick the door in. Again, police had come out. They'd arrest him. Wait till the next... By this point, it got flat. So he never used to come back the following morning, at least. But then the next time he got drunk, he'd turn up again. Oh, God. Did you have to move then in the end? Yeah, in the end, I finished university, graduated, got a first-class degree in that. Amazing. Well done. Cheers. So I finished uni on the Tuesday and on the Friday I literally got the kids in the car. I was like, we're off. So the eldest one was like, where are we going? So I told her we were going to Morrison's Salad Bar. <laughs> She's obsessed with going. Oh, she was until now that our Morrison's don't have a salad bar now because of the situation. <laughs> 
But yeah, we drove past Morrison's and she just kind of looked. And I still think to this day that she knew something. And then we moved. So we moved, I think, 86 miles away and started again in 2014. Oh, my God. Wow. What? an amazing person you are an inspiration to so many women that could be going through this that you've managed it like you actually finished uni and you actually did all that that's amazing I to make me um defer a year and stuff because by this point they knew that there was stuff going on at home as well and I was like look if I don't finish this degree now I will never come back so I just kind of muddled through it and in the end after he'd got a flat one of my friends used to move in on a Monday and he'd come and stay Monday to Friday so that he could have the kids whilst I was at uni because sometimes I'd have to leave the house at like six in the morning because it was over an hour journey to get to uni and back an hour each way so he'd come and he'd cut my teeth for when I get back bless him and it was amazing and like he if I hadn't been for him I would never have finished uni and uni were like no you need to take a year out and deal with I was like no I am not. If I don't finish now, I will never come back, and then it will have all kind of been a wasted effort. Yeah, so I was backing up this uni debt as well. So I was like, no, I'm just going to carry on and go. And look wow. through with the first. Wow, that is amazing. You've done absolutely amazing. Um, gosh, I, I, I bits in during that story. I honestly, I was close to actually full on crying. It's so sad what you've been through, but what an inspirational person you are. So, so today then, what, where are you in life now? What are you doing? Well, it all went tits up after I moved because he fought for access to the kids. He, luckily he didn't get any. I think it's quite important that people know that when, when you end up with um, children's services involved and, um, calf casts were involved and he came through a couple of times and had supervised access here and they were saying no look he wants to see his daughter and I was like look his daughter wants nothing to do with him so one day I literally dragged him into the car kicking and screaming I was like you've got to go and see him he was telling them that I was stopping her and I was like you're gonna have to go and she went in and the, the spoke to him were like oh we'll use a safe word if you don't want to be there once he's walked into the room just say horses Anyway, he walked in, she went, I'm off to the toilet, she won't go back in the room. She just left, passed oh, him in the doorway. So, And I literally, I just turned to him and I said, look, I've done what you asked me to do. You asked me to get her to come. I've got her to come. I'm not doing any more. And it was really weird. So the, the place where we were, we were in the next room to where he was with my son. And my son did want to see him and he, he really missed his dad. So and we could hear what they were saying in the next room and I could hear him talking to Mason in this kind of fake, like, like a telephone voice, probably the closest thing I could compare it to. Oh, God. But, and I could hear him, he's like, oh, are you all right? And I was just thinking, that is so false and so not you. And then Ariana turned to me and she was like, mum, he stinks to be a, a gag. And I was like, oh, and what it came down to is he's allowed to have a drink before he sees him. He just wasn't allowed to be drunk. And I was like, do you know what? I'm not doing this. No. Then what we did went, you have to do? Well, we went to court and he was, there's no actual court order in place for my oldest because she just outright refused. She was like, I don't know what to do with him. You can't make me. And I, I begged and begged him. I said, look, she doesn't want to. And she's old enough. And she's given you 101 reasons why she doesn't want anything to do with him. I was like... She's entitled to have an opinion, so they didn't actually put a court order on her. How old was she at that time then? She'd have been, what was it? I think she'd been nine, ten. Oh, yeah, so she knows, doesn't she? What yeah, she, she knew, and I kept saying to myself, I don't care whether you don't think she's old enough. I'm like, she knows. 
And then with his son, we had the, the same argument. Actually, this should have been just nine, I think. With his son, he got two hours supervised access a month. It had to be in a public place. It had to be supervised, but he's never once turned up anywhere. So it would have only had 24 hours in a whole year, but he's never once turned up. But then my health then started failing and then I was diagnosed with a number of chronic conditions. And I do think that a lot of that is to do with me kind of, I lived 10 years of just, I've got to carry on. I'm a mum, I've got to do what I need to do. I've got to go to work. I've got to go to uni. And I think eventually once it had stopped, my body kind of caught up with me and it was like, look, you've been through too much. And then slowly between 2014 and 2018, I got quite poorly and ended up with a number of chronic conditions oh i'm sorry to hear that well it's all magically better now weirdly so uh, you know it's all kind of gone away oh that's that's good yeah because when you just you're on that mouse wheel a bit aren't you the whole time just kind of trying to get to the end of it trying to get some your kids somewhere safe and uh yeah goodness it was just really weird i thought now that everything around me is kind of better my own body gave in oh bless you so so what are you doing now then and where where are well what what are you doing in life now are you with anyone or yeah I've been with my partner now that I'm with for coming up to three years oh amazing Ariana's now 14 she's launched her own little mini business which oh. she launched in COVID so she makes things on paracord in 2019, I joined the network marketing company, so as well as being a social worker during the day, I also run my own team and have my own business doing that. Amazing. So, it's like very busy now. Amazing. Can you tell us a bit about what, what it is you do with your network marketing team, what what it involves? Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so everybody laughs because whilst I was quite unwell in the summer of 2018 I came across a crazy lady on Facebook that kept going on about this happy coffee as she called it and I kept thinking shut up love coffee does not make people happy (laughs) but she was quite a traditional network market shall we say so I was quite in my inbox and in the end I was like just send me a bit and I'll try it and then you'll leave me alone and she did send me a bit and I fell in love with it and then Whilst we can't make any medical claims, a lot of the natural ingredients in it helps with the chronic conditions that I've got, which is why I then, as I was getting better, decided, you know what, I love this stuff so much. And I was still in a lot of debt that their dad had left me in. I was like, maybe this is an opportunity to kind of learn how to build a business and to get out of some of this debt. So that's what I did, joined the business. Miraculously got a hell of a lot better. But because I was looking into kind of how to do network marketing and how to run a business, I was listening to kind of positive podcasts and engaging with a lot more positive people. And I think that that's what also helped me rather than me sat wallowing, kind of wallowing in my own self-pity at how poorly I'd become. Mm. So I do think it was kind of a bit of both. And my mindset completely changed. And then that led to me sharing bits of my story with the weight loss because I'd gone up to 15 and a half stone because I was on a lot of medication, including some pretty nasty steroids, mm. which caused me to put on the weight. So as the weight started falling off, I was sharing pictures of the scales. Now, at this point, I was like an empty shell of myself. So I'd, I'd gone to living in hoodies and baggy jeans all the time. I used to walk around with my hood up, kind of hiding from the world. And... Mm. But I was sharing pictures of my scales as I was losing weight. 
And then as the weight started falling off, people enjoyed it. So they were following my story. And then obviously, eventually, I started to build a team, joined MIB, which I'm a leader in now. And through being a part of MIB, I learned about like little bits of my stories come out and people were saying do you know what you should share it and I was like nobody wants to hear my story and they were like no actually a lot of people could probably be helped and as I shared little bits and more people got in touch and said kind of how it helped them and how it was inspiring and things at first I was really shocked and I was like why does anybody want to listen to my story and why is anybody interested in what happened to me and that was when I started to write it out in bits of what had gone on. And all of a sudden I thought, do you know what, you, you have actually been through quite a bit and there, there is a reason people are listening. But at first it was kind of, I, I think I thought that what I'd been through, everybody went through. And that yeah, you don't realise, do you? Do you you're yeah. just kind of in your own zone, aren't you? Yeah, very much so. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, actually by speaking out, if it helps one other person to to realise that there is a better side of life and that you don't need to live through them things just because you think your kids need a mum and a dad. But little as I shared, bits, more bits came out and that's how, kind of how I built my business because everybody kind of followed my story as I kind of grew grew as a person, really. That's amazing. You've done so, so well. I love it. Absolutely love it. And it's so, so important to share stuff like this um, where where possible, because it's such a brave thing to share as well, because a lot of people will have been through this thing similar like this and and probably won't really want to kind of share it. And then people don't realise, do they? Because sometimes you could be in relationships where you don't realise they're an abuser and they're so clever. Yeah um about it like you know they're a charmer you know the, these people that oh hello how are you you know all nice and nice and then behind closed doors they're very clever and, and very nasty people yeah yeah and I think that's the thing and I didn't quite realize how much he got inside my head and kind of it was control even when he wasn't there and I think people see the financial control and the physical control and things like that but I don't think anybody actually unless you've been there understands how much control they actually have so it got to the point where everything I do I think what would his reaction be what will he say if I do this what will he do if I do this and I think that was the bit that kind of looking back that really makes it the hardest is that you have to try and live your life through how you think somebody else might react I once, like I had to, because at first I didn't tell obviously my partner anything about this and like little bits had come out and stuff. And then I'll, it said something one day, I can't even remember what it was now, but I flipped on him and he was like, what was that all about? And that's when I clicked and I had to say to him, look, this thing and this triggers me because I remember what he would do. And I was like, it kind of swung me the way and I was like, no, it, it does stay with you. And you think you've got over it and you think it's all like part of the past. But little bits still try and sneak in. Yeah, and you probably get a bit defensive, ready yeah. to take on, like ready for the abuse you're going to get, and then yeah, yeah, yeah you do. forget. Oh no, no, is it? Honestly, it's been uh, such an honour having you on here talking about that because it's just so so important. And is there any message that you would um, put out there to anyone that could be suffering from any of the things that um, you've been through, through the physical abuse, psychological, financial, sexual, sexual abuse? I mean, you've been through a lot. Is there is there anything that you would advise anyone yeah I think the biggest thing is speak to people so whilst you're in that situation and even if you do you are still at the point where 
kind of thinking, you know, th this is life and this is normal and this is kind of what I have to live with. Speak to people because there's always somebody out there that can help you. And whilst at the time you do kind of feel it, I was mortified and even more so we've been at uni and trying to deal with it from the other side as well. But there's so many charities and things out there that are to help people like these. Like now I'm working with MIB and MIB are doing a big fundraiser at the moment to help for a charity called Hopeful Handbags. And that's what that's all about. It's working with people that have kind of been in domestic abuse situations and are getting out of it because there isn't enough services out there. But there's always something in a safe place for people. It's just a case of if you never tell anybody, nobody will ever know. Mm. And just I was lucky. So my son told a number of people afterwards that his daddy rolled his mummy down the stairs. And that really hit home because at that point I thought he one it normalised it as if that that's the norm that's what dads do, but it was kind of the realisation that if he had have rolled me down the stairs a little bit more, I could have been dead at the bottom of the stairs. And whilst I was sat thinking two kids needed a mum and a dad, they would have actually had neither because he'd have been sent to prison and I would have been dead. So reach out and find them them people that that can support, that can help, that can look out for you. Mm, there is always somebody. I think it's important as well for anyone listening that has got um, friends that do reach out to them, not to kind of push them into doing something, because I think that sometimes is the fear why people don't want no. to tell people, because people's instant reaction is like, well, leave them. And then they don't, they're not ready to maybe hear that. And, um, and sometimes yeah, it's it just... does more damage than good, I think, when you think that, that that's what they need to hear and it, it's about supporting them to come to that decision themselves because if you try and enforce that decision on someone else you're more likely to do it the other way because then you can you get that I can get through this I can do what I need to do I will be fine I think it's a case of looking stuff so like making sure that you've got your mobile phone with you so what I used to do which was a trick that they taught me was to ring somebody whilst it was kicking off mute the phone so that they couldn't hear so that he couldn't hear them and just put the phone in my pocket that way if I had have ended up at the bottom of the stairs or something somebody would have known yeah <laughs> oh god it's sad that you even had to think like that but yeah those types of things and and I mean and just having someone that you can openly talk to and um just yeah. you yeah just share share the experience with because I imagine even admitting it to yourself is quite hard first. You don't know you're going through it until afterwards. And then um, I do think that that's a lot of it as well. Yeah, so yeah. while you're in it, you're not talking about it because you don't even know you're in it. And then it's only when you look back and you think, shit, actually, didn't realise, you know. Yeah, and I think until people realise it themselves. So everybody else probably saw it long before me. Hmm. But... Once I realised it, that was, and it's kind of people need supporting to realise it for themselves. Yeah. So I was lucky that once domestic abuse services did get involved, they kind of made an action plan with me. So kind of planning out what to happen in in different eventualities. So we kind of made an action plan of how I would get out. So I'd keep the keys with me, and I'd have the kids' um, birth certificates were in my car, and it was all things like that. You know, kind of protective. So that in the eventuality that I did manage to get out or that things did get worse, I had a kind of a safety option and a way of getting out. 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that. Do you find now that the people that you deal with in a similar situation to you, does it really frustrate you sometimes? Because then you think, God, you could be where I am now and it's a much better life. Or is it. I deal with many domestic abuse cases at all because it's done quite separately by kind of domestic abuse charities. Right. Which is good because. I think it, it would be difficult to do, but obviously I have supervision in my job anyway and things, so we do have ways of dealing with it. But most of it's done by external kind of charities and agencies. Mm. I think the thing for a lot of um, mums going through this as well, which obviously our podcast is is mainly, you know, mum listeners, is yeah. I think um, it's when you've got children with someone, you fear that like, oh, my God, the child, like it's split. It's kind of who would get the house? How do you leave a, a home with children in? Like, where do you go? If you're the one that wants to leave, do you have to leave the children there? And there's just so many things, isn't there, that you just worry about. So speaking to a charity then is going to kind of put that all in place for you so you don't have to worry about those yeah, things. Yeah, they, they were brilliant, to be fair, and they supported me, like, every step of the way, and they were kind of teaching me, like, it is difficult if you've got a joint tendency, not going to lie, it is very hard, but I was a little bit naughty, so when he got his tendency, I offered to scan it for him, which meant I had a copy of his tenancy agreement, which meant my tenancy agreement was void with him on it. So, inadvertently, one side, which somebody had told me about, so I, that's why I was so keen to encourage him to get his flat, because the minute he was on that tenancy, it meant he could no longer be on mine, so I could then get a tenancy without him on, he voided it, I was in the house with the kids, so at that point it was, the property was mine, well the tenancy was mine. Thank God. Well, that's a good tip. Hopefully, anyone listening who needs that, there you go. Yeah, a sneaky tip. But yeah. The other thing is, even if you have to walk away, and it is hard to walk away from everything. So when we left, we we couldn't bring all the furniture and things. But what we did in my head, I kind of rationalised that what could be worse if if I didn't leave. I mean, we didn't have the sofa. I had the kids' beds. So that was about the majority of what we had. But it was kind of if we'd have stayed. Yeah, okay, we'd have had the furniture, but we'd have had a life of hell. So I think no matter how much the house is worth or the stuff in the house is worth, you, you need to do what's going to keep yourself safe. Because no amount of bricks is going to kind of bring back if worst case scenario happens, is it? No, and that that's you know that could have been where where it got to as well. Um, really, it's you it's just showed like how over ten years your your situation just got progressively worse and worse and worse. And where would it have ended? And that that's the scary thing, isn't it? Yeah, there is that. When I look back now, I do think what what would have happened next because it just escalated and escalated. Mm-hmm. And I think if I hadn't have done something. It would still be kicking the door down on a Friday. Oh, God, yeah, but you're just so glad. I bet you love your little place now where you're all, like, homely and nice and calm. Yeah, yeah, and you're not wondering every time door knocks up. Well, nobody knocks on door now unless it's Amazon delivery driver. Yeah, oh, yes, they knock on mine too many times, to be honest, especially yeah, yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and you're, like, trying to pretend I didn't order anything else. Honestly, honestly, I didn't. Yeah, I hide things in my car, actually, for a while, and then I just sneak them into the wardrobe. Um, Yeah, (laughs) 
Oh, it's, it's not mine, it's Ariana. She must have ordered it. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Now, Edwina, it's been such a lovely um, hour speaking to you. I can't believe it's been an hour. Um, but thank you so much for sharing everything with us. And if you don't mind sending me the links over, what we'll do is we'll put those on the show notes. Um, if anyone has any questions or want to speak to you about anything to do with this, are you happy for people to message you? Yeah, definitely drop me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And just know that there, there are people out there that will listen to you and that, that there is a better side of things. And I know I know, when I was at the bottom of everything, I was like, this is my life, this, this is what it is. But it doesn't have to be that way. No. And th there is always a better side. But, yeah, feel free to reach out, drop me a message. Like I say, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And even if I can't help you, it, it it's nice to have somebody that, kind of been in the same situation as you I think yeah definitely definitely um we'll put all Edwina's uh, links on the um show notes so again thank you so much Edwina all right thank you very much yeah it was lovely and I just hope that do you know what I mean if it helps one person then it's worth speaking about it definitely will I'm sure of it thank you Thank you for listening to today's episode of 50 Shades of Motherhood. If you are a victim of abuse, please contact the Domestic Abuse National Helpline on 0808 We have a really special offer today and I'm so excited to share it with you, the ultimate giveaway. Do you want to receive one of our planners for free or would you like access to our Instagram growth course worth £59? At My Bump to Baby, we are massively passionate about making sure parents have the protection in place that they need should the worst happen. If you choose to book in with your nearest family law solicitor today to have a look and a chat about your will, or if you book in with your financial advisor to review your family protection or your pension, we will give you access to either our Instagram course with £59, or we will send you one of our amazing planners completely free of charge. To qualify for this, all you need to do is fill in the form at the bottom of this podcast and we will book you in with your nearest advisor. You don't need to take out a policy and you don't need to take out a will. It's just simply having a chat to make sure that you have the protection that you need should the worst happen. We are so excited to bring you this offer and we hope you take advantage of it because protecting your family is the most important decision that you could make today.